Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. We here at the NeuroNerds stand with our Black brothers and sisters. We want to use our podcast as a platform to amplify Black voices. This is a series of interviews I'm going to be doing with Black stroke and brain injury survivors. In this episode, I'm interviewing Octavia Burrell, a blogger and stroke survivor from Seattle, Washington. Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Lauren. And we are the the NeuroNerds. Yes, that was on time. I feel pretty good. I feel pretty good about that. Neuro nerds. Welcome to the Neuro Nerds. And very special guest today. I'm speaking with Octavia. Octavia, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for you know, sharing your your insight and your perspective on the world today, not only as a stroke survivor, but as a a, a black stroke survivor woman in the world today. Talented, brilliant, incredible, amazing. That's a lot. (laughs) It is a lot. It is a lot. And thank you so much for having me. This is my first podcast. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. I'm really happy to be here. So nor- normally, you know, I, I, I'm very, it's a very light podcast. We talk mm-hmm. a lot about, you know, recovery through everything. Nerdum, this isn't that. The world today is a lot heavier than it is. This isn't our, our normal light episode. Not that it necessarily has to be so heavy, but we're just being honest with what's going on in the world today. It's pretty crazy. So before we get into that, uh, tell us a little bit uh, a little bit about your, your story, Octavia. Absolutely. So um, I actually had my brain hemorrhage back in 2012, so about eight years ago, um, while I was in the middle of graduate school. Um, I, I just moved to Minnesota maybe six months prior. Um, it was the weekend leading up to Christmas. Um, and it sort of happened at this party I was attending and everything thereafter kind of spiraled and happened very, very quickly for me. But I ended up leaving Minnesota for three months to do um, uh, rehab, radiation therapy and what have you. And concurrently, at the same time, my mother had just left the hospital after having um, open heart surgery. So we ended up being on disability together. Um, so that was a really interesting time for us and my family. So um I ended up moving back to Minneapolis. I wanted to continue with my career. I ended up dropping out of the graduate program I was in. I just figured at that point, 
there was no way that I would be able to continue to compete at a collegiate level. I just wasn't ready. Um, so I went back to Minnesota to kind of finish rehab and, and finish working on my career and trying to figure out how to make that happen. And, you know, I'm gonna be honest, it has been kind of an uphill battle for a number of different reasons. But in 2016, I decided to um, start a blog and then a book project um, as a companion piece to it. And in the beginning, it was supposed to be me writing a fictional story loosely based on my stroke experience. But after going to Costa Rica for my Dirty 30 trip, uh, birthday trip in 2018, I realized that I needed to bring some truth to the table with this and, and turn it into a memoir. And so that's sort of the journey that I'm on now with, with my book project and my blog, Nomadic Caffeine. Hey, I really appreciate your blog. I actually was turned on to your blog from um, the first stroke survivor I ever met in person, Bridget. Bridget Clarice? Mm-hmm. You did a, a story on Bridget, and I, I've read it, of course, because Bridget's like, you know, my my tiny, insane homie. And it was brilliant. I just loved the way you wrote. And then I started reading more of your blogs. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, I really love the way you use your words. You know, like, it's it's you paint a beautiful picture with your words. And I really appreciate that. And I reached out to you. I was like, oh, you're cool. Caffeine? I'm a coffee addict. Like, yeah. really, just hook <laughs> it up directly into my veins. I'm good to go. And then, um, so I started this series that I'm doing currently where I'm speaking to um, you know, survivors of color, mm-hmm. right? Living in the world today, being able, being a survivor alone, just alone is the world is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Everything is overwhelming. Waking up, it, the the most mundane thing you can do, the the most boring, average every day, is overwhelming sometimes. Let alone mm-hmm. dealing with that, you know, the protests that are going on with injustice, with crooked cops, with it's the world is so heavy right now and it's almost hard to breathe. And so I, I decided to give like, you know, survivors uh, uh, black survivors uh, in particular, especially right now, the the platform just to share your story, what you deal with, what you've seen, and maybe, you know, some insights of like how to move forward in this brand new world that we're living. in. Yeah. Um, I think everything that is happening while it is very, very, shocking to some people and very overwhelming. I think it's something that's much needed. I think Black people, the Black community have at this point come to a breaking point with the George Floyd video. um, It was just, it was very disgusting and heinous. And at that point, you know, we had had enough on top of dealing with everything that has come with this pandemic and noticing that it's people of color and the working class people um, that are being more or less affected at higher levels. So all of this together kind of create this perfect storm. And and so we see this explosion and the protests and everything that's happened um, over the past few weeks. Um, Again, I think it's something that is is needed. This needed to happen. And I stand with the protesters. I believe in what they're doing. And I really just feel that in order to enact real tangible change. Sometimes you have to do extreme shit because we have done it. Um, we have, I've done it peacefully and it's, it hasn't worked. You know, we begged and pleaded with people and that hasn't worked. We've done everything that we can do. And this is not something that's new. These are issues and things that we have dealing with, have been dealing with and have been facing for many, 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 many years. And um, I really, really hope sincerely that from this, real change can happen. And I understand that it's not something that can happen 
overnight. It takes time. Um, but it's it's good to see the support from the white community. It, well, it's it's good and it's been interesting to see. Um, but it's going to take all of us to really make sure that something happens um, at a greater level and that we can, you know, provide some sort of real legislative, actual, tangible change. Yes, yes. And I, I feel so I, I'm I'm older than you. Um, I know <laughs> you're, you're you're like, how is that possible? Clearly, you're like 18 years old, Joe. No. So, uh, I'm, <laughs> so I I, li- I was a teenager during the Rodney King riots. And I, I remember it like it's yesterday because everything that's going on in the world brings me back to those moments. And I remember at the time, I, you know, you're, you're a kid. You just don't yeah. really understand the gravity of it. But I knew it was serious. And I felt it like thinking back, I felt it was like almost radical acceptance for the world. Like, oh, wow, this is happening when people's eyes were opened. Oh, wow, this is happening to black people are being attacked by police. Get out of here. Mm-hmm. And I felt that it like it opened people's eyes, but then it just kind of disappeared and faded away. Sadly, things changed. Yes, but it wasn't lasting change. Things kind of just were brushed to the side a little bit. And then it just kind of mm-hmm. went back to like the status quo. I really feel that things that are happening today, I think it feels like the world is changing. It feels like the world is evolving. I don't know if you feel the same way. Yes, we're going through a a ginormous cultural shift. There's been a schism. So, I mean, I wasn't alive during the 60s, but even thinking back to the 60s and 70s, there are so many movements that were happening simultaneously. Um, It was pushing us toward that change. And when that sort of change happens or when we're in the middle of it, it hurts. People get hurt. People die. You know, it's not easy. And everything that came out of the 60s and the 70s um, puts us in the position we're in today. We're, we're moving the, little, the needle a little bit further, which is good. We're not there yet, but we've moved it a little bit. And I mean, that was like a 20-year span. So we're, we're just at the beginning. So this is going to be going on for a while. I think. Right. I, I think what helps is technology. So I, I've spoken with us a, a few people. I've I've spoken with people who are significantly older than I. People who have been mm-hmm. around who who are old in the '60s, okay, and they're nervous. They're very uncomfortable with uh, what's going on because they've seen this happen again and again. I feel this is going to change because because uh, these right here. I'm holding my phone. Our mm-hmm. phones can record everything. The revolution is being televised. Mm-hmm. It is. It's not going anywhere. It's it's you, the videos are up They're there forever. You can try to take them down. These things are going to be there forever. So we can't turn a blind eye. We we, we can't. It, it's here and it's here to stay. And I really feel I joke all the time about like <laughs> idiot kids. That's the best <laughs> way to describe it. You know, I'll be honest, most kids kind of idiots, the Tide Pod eating kids, those idiot kids, you know, the ones like <laughs> natural selection is going to take care of them. Those kids. But that generation is surprising me. That generation is coming out and they're putting their, their, their foot down and they're saying, hey, we want change. We don't want it years from now. We want it today. They're very impatient. Mm-hmm. And that gives me so much hope for the future. Yeah, me too. I, I, think, I think what the, the younger generation is doing is great. They're really utilizing their voices and technology and social media. Um, And when I think about social media, I'll actually take you back to 2012 when Trayvon happened, because this was the first uh, major shooting that took off via social media. That was 
phenomenal. It was phenomenal for me on a couple different levels. So um, with Trayvon, at this point in time, I just had gotten out of school. I'm trying to come into my own as a person, and I'm having this awakening about my Blackness and the Black experience as I'm seeing this underway through social media. And, you know, I come from a very small town in Iowa. I grew up in Des Moines in the city for 15 years, and my family brought property um, halfway through high school. So I spent the latter half of my adolescence in this very, very, very small rural town with a population of about 400 people. Oh so, yeah. Wait, yeah. wait, wait. Small? <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah. That's my graduating tiny. class was 50 kids and I was the only um, African-American student in my class. It was just me and my sister for a long while. There were some families that came through um, after Katrina, but they didn't stay long. Right. Um, but so while Trayvon was happening, I'm seeing how people I had gone to school with and gone to church with and babysat their kids and, you know, have, have had dinner with. I was seeing their reaction to Trayvon and how they have this perception of him as being the aggressor. They have this negativity toward him. And me and, and my people are sitting back thinking, this is a child. How I don't understand why you guys are why you have the the perception that this is a grown ass man when this is this is a, this is a kid it's and he kid. was trying to defend himself and so seeing you know their reaction to everything that was happening at that point in time because remember this was the first major um incident that took off via social media so it it was a a shitstorm <laughs> for lack of a better term, the trial and everything. It was just madness. I had to get off social media. It was too much. I had too much like cognitive dissonance. Like how could the people that I had called my friends, like how, how could they be feeling this way? If they feel this way about him, what do they feel about me? Trayvon could have been my brother. It messes with your head. But it does. It, what, what helps is people's true colors come out, you know? <laughs> and I would rather, I, me personally, I want that, those feelings. I want the racism. I want it out front. I, mm -hmm. I want to know who you are, you know, like let it go. So I know who I'm talking to. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, it was very eye opening for me. I think I left social media altogether, Facebook specifically for about four or five years after that. I was like, I can't. So technology and digital media are, are going to be the things that help us hopefully, um, highlight the ongoings in the community with the shootings and with the discrimination and injustices. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's rough until Skynet takes over and then, you know, we've <laughs> all seen Terminator. We know what's going to happen. Thank you to our amazing community on Patreon for supporting this podcast. You can support us too and get different perks and gifts depending on which neuro Jedi tier you sign up for. For example, if you're on our neuro Padawan $5 tier, then you're probably listening to this episode a day early before it's public release. Your support helps us grow and continue to create this podcast. Plus, a portion of the proceeds go to a different cause or individual in the brain injury survivor community each month. Sign up at patreon.com slash the neuro nerds. So this is what blows my mind. And people get very uncomfortable with everything that's going on. People don't like seeing the video of, of George. They, they don't like seeing it. They don't like hearing it. The reality is we kind of need to see it. We kind of need to hear it because it, it happened. And, it, and not that it happened. It continues to happen. It, it's so many people have died since that happened. So many cops have killed other people since that 
happen. Like, let's not forget about that. So what, what blows me away and what should make everybody uncomfortable, and I'll say this over and over and over again, that cop knew he was being filmed. Mm-hmm. It was he intentional. He the camera. It he was knew intentional. he was being filmed. Now, mm-hmm. here's the thing. What happens? What do you think happens when there's no cameras around? What oh, do you I'm think sure. they say? What do you think they do? That's what should make you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. He was comfortable enough to murder a man on, cam- on camera. What do you think happens when there's no cameras around? That's what should make everybody uncomfortable. That's why things need to change because of that. Yeah, and for us, I mean, this is not, again, this is not a new issue. We've always known about this. Black people have always had this contentious relationship with police. Um, If you read about the history of policing in this country, at least in the southern part of the country, police were used as slave catchers. Their job was to to catch runaway slaves and bring them back um, to their owners. So... Yeah, there, there's always been that that sort of hostility there and distrust yeah. of the police. And police have never made me feel safe, ever. No, no. I, I am a very fair-skinned Puerto Rican man, and <laughs> I am always uncomfortable. Always uncomfortable. I'm always uncomfortable around cops because I know several cops. I know several cops personally over my years, right? They still made me a little bit uncomfortable. So, like, I know the way they think sometimes. I know why they do the things that they do sometimes. I understand the constant, like, if you're going into work and every single day, anybody you run into could possibly murder you, that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Like, I I get that. But every person of color is not evil. Like, you can't, you you just, you can't do that. And you have to treat people equally. That's the part that really bothers me. And it's the meme. They're not even memes. They're just the, the pictures that are going around where you see, um, you know, a, a young black man, misdemeanor, and he has several cop cars, several cops, guns drawn, taking him in. And then you have like these little white kids who are mass murderers being gently placed in back of cop cars. It's, it, it's, it's, it's a travesty. It's, it's a shame. It should make everybody uncomfortable and it should make everybody feel ashamed for not doing something more if you can. I don't want to shame anybody because I'm trying not to shame people for not mm-hmm. advocating. Advocate in your own way. Yeah. Right. But but do something. We turning a blind eye it isn't gonna help anything. Talk to your neighbor, talk to your sister, talk to your cousin. It, just do do the best that you can. You don't have to be on the front lines. Actually, if you're a brain injury survivor, I suggest not being on the on the lines at all. We're right. very susceptible to another mm-hmm. issue in the world, COVID. Yeah. We we really mm-hmm. are. And unfortunately. There are a handful of COVIDiots out there who don't like wearing masks for some reason. And it's the same people who are, it bothers me, Octavia. I don't know if it bothers you. People (laughs) calling these protests, they're calling them riots. They're not riots. They're not riots. (laughs) They're protests. The riot, there are riot tours. There are several opportunists, agents of chaos, who are out there to cause some trouble. That's a very tiny percentage of the people out there who are doing some good, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, that, that, that bothers me. Oh, but those are the same people who aren't wearing masks. Those are the same people who are, you know, not social. Anyways, that's a, a, a whole thing. You live in Seattle. Yes. <laughs> there is some shit going on in Seattle right now. Yeah, yeah. 
So um, the people have taken over several blocks in this area called Capitol Hill. It's one of the um, more popular neighborhoods central um, to Seattle proper. I have not been down there because of, you know, our health situation. I just don't feel safe being in large crowds right now. So I have not been down there, Um, but I'm supporting in other ways and, and supporting from a distance just to keep myself safe. But um, they've stated some of their demands and what they want. And part of what they want is to defund the police. Um, And until those demands are met, they're just going to continue to occupy that space. This is what I know. um, As far as I know, this is what's going on down there. Right. And now when a lot of people hear defund the police and they lose their minds. Yeah. That's people think that it means to eradicate police altogether. And that's not what that means. It just means to reallocate some of those funds into the community to, to community resources. Absolutely. Now, again, I tell everybody, don't listen to me. Don't, <laughs> don't listen to me. Don't listen to the news. Do your own research. Mm-hmm. Okay. Look at how much money is being pumped into the police mm-hmm. and look at how much money is being pumped into other organizations. Okay. You, the, the money needs to be allocated into the right places. Going directly to the cops and loading them up with all of this gear is, yeah, how about we take a tiny chunk of that and try to, like, work on preventative measures? You know? Exactly. Seems smart to me. That's not defunding the police. It's not, oh, yeah, yeah, cops, yeah, they're not a thing anymore. It's not that. Do your research. Stop being so outraged over nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when everything sort of went down with that, I remember getting messages from you on IG. And then shortly after you sent me the message, my parents hit me up like, what the hell is happening in Seattle? And then my cousin reached out to me. I'm like, guys, I was knee deep in some work stuff. So I didn't know at the time what was going on. So I'm just like, I checked it out and and everything seemed to be okay. And I'm like, why is everyone freaking out? I think uh, in large part, the media is making it seem much more worse than what it is. It's 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 the talking points. Well, you know, you know, what's funny. Here's what's funny <clears throat> from what I'm gathering from you and everybody that I've spoken to. It's peaceful. It is. It's a, it's it a is. it's a very peaceful protest. They're taking. Yes, they're taking over several blocks in a very peaceful manner in Oregon. Not too long ago, there were people who charged the Capitol with guns because they didn't want to be home anymore. With mm. guns. Now, here's the difference. Bunch of Caucasian people. Mm. Yeah. There, there was, ah, eh, but it's fine. It's fine. It's not big. They'll work it out. Okay. But you have people of color peacefully protesting and taking over several. And now it's, it's chaos. They're vigilantes there. Do you, you see how, yeah. how, the, how it's, it's painted, how it's portrayed. It's unfortunate. It's nice to know from you who actually lives there. Yeah, it's peaceful. It's, there's mm-hmm. nothing crazy going on there. You know, um, I, last I heard they, the government was coming, wanting to come in and get rid of, that demil- that that zone that that uh, has been taken over. Um, I don't know about any of that. That may be true. I don't know. I haven't heard any updates on that. I do know that they were sort of moving things around to allow for traffic. Um, but I I don't I haven't heard any updates as of yet. So, well, just as um, so long as as people are protesting, look, it's working. It's really working. We've had cops arrested for murder. Okay, not arrested because they did their job. They didn't do their job. They killed. They were killing people. And we finally had Breonna Taylor's, uh, her murderer fired. Finally, Uh, that blows my mind still. Uh, Her story specifically just breaks my heart on so many levels. It's ridiculous. There was a law that was put in place specifically for what happened to her, yet the cop was still on payroll. Like I don't understand how, I I just don't understand. This is... 
This just shows the, the flaws in the system. And it doesn't have to be a political thing. It's just right and wrong. You know, a lot of people are trying to divide everybody. And that's, it kind of seems like it's, oh, well, it's black, it's versus white, it's Republican and Dem it's, it's not. Tupac, favorite MC of all time. <laughs> he said it best. When I say us and them, I'm not saying white people and black people. I'm talking about good versus evil. Yeah. And that's what this is. We're trying to eradicate evil. There's some evil stuff going on. What happened to George Floyd is evil. Yeah. That's just it, evil. It uh, was very nefarious and, and just so gross and, and heartbreaking. I couldn't get through the video and I just I, I told myself that for me and my own mental well-being that I'm not going to view videos like that anymore. Um I can, you know, read about what happens, but I don't need to see that. That's not good for my mental health. So and what you just said actually speaks volumes. I, I'm not gonna look at those videos anymore. It's sad that there are so many mm -hmm. that you can actually say that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The, no. I'm, I, I know there are people out there who are like, I will never watch a video like that again because they've seen one. We, we've seen so many, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it's it's the fact that people are shocked is great, but it's not shocking, it's at least not, not to me, at least not it's, to you. And that's what's crazy. Yeah, it's um, again with this awakening from white people. It has that has been very interesting. And I'm of the position that, you know, some of us were not, we're not going to be quickly receptive to the solidarity. Why? Because historically in this country, African-Americans have been lied to numerous times. We've gone through things like this before where, you know, everyone's sorry and we'll, we're going to fix it or try to do something to fix it and then nothing happens. And so my only concern with what is going on currently is that this is just a trend that people are hopping on. Right. And in six months from now, it's back to business or, you know, back to business as usual. And, and I said this in my, my most recent blog post, my life is not a trend. My safety is not a trend. This is not, this is not trendy for us. Um, and so I really want to see, especially like organizations. So on my LinkedIn, I see, company upon company, organization upon organization, proclaiming the solidarity with um, Black Americans. And that's great. But I want to see, again, tangible change. Yes. Where are the Black people in your C-suite, in your workforce, in your leadership spots? If, if you're not going to put people of color, Black people specifically in positions of power, then I don't want to hear you say shit because it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> If you want to join the Change the Face of Stroke campaign and be part of the movement, send your black and white photo to hello at the neuronerds.com. We're going to be releasing videos daily as part of this campaign. So if you're a stroke survivor under the age of 50 and would like to be included in our Change the Face of Stroke videos, please submit your black and white photo, ideally on a white background, to hello at the neuronerds.com. Strokes can happen to anyone, anywhere, from any ethnic background and age. By spreading more awareness of this, we hope to educate and help prevent strokes in the future. Join our campaign, Change the Face of Stroke. It's just words. Words are, are, are one thing. We're the actions. You know, actions, they always speak louder than words. You know, we want to see 
change. We want, we don't want to see what, okay, you have a board of, of several and there's no person of color in there that needs to change. It, it really needs to change from the top to the bottom, you know? Um, okay. So now I'm going to talk about living in this world during COVID. It, it's, it yeah. was hard for me mm-hmm. because I want to be on the front lines and protest. I, I was so afraid for my health, not my safety. Yeah my health, you know, because there's a lot of people who don't respect social distancing. There are a lot of people who don't respect other people by not wearing masks. So it's really, really difficult. And even just going to stores now, it's, it's a lot. I don't know how it is in Seattle. Have have you come across um, uh, issues with just people not social distancing or people not respecting the, you know, the face mask rules or. Based on everything that I've been experiencing here, people are pretty compliant, which is great. Um, that keeps me healthy, that keeps you healthy. So I appreciate that 100 percent. Um, COVID is a very, very interesting sort of situation. And and I've explained this on my personal IG stories, but my parents got COVID and that was scary as hell. Um, what I didn't tell you guys is that COVID gave my mom a heart attack. Is she okay? She's they're fine now. It, but it was a very, very, very scary situation. And so you know, when people dismiss the mask wearing, that upsets me because I have that personal link with COVID at this point. And me having the health issues that I have, it's like, I don't know. If if I get this, I don't know what will happen to me. I could get through it fine and get, have only mild symptoms and, you know, whatever. Or it could affect me in a way that's disruptive to my AVM situation. I could have another vascular disruption. I don't know. We just don't know enough about it. Um, but having having to deal with my parents have this and being 1,600, 1,700 miles away and not being able to physically get to them, I mean, that was heartbreaking. Um, the George Floyd and... Uh, the notification of my parents, they happened back to back. So it was, that was a crazy ass week for me. It was George Floyd. And then the next day, my parents, uh, I found out about my dad. And then the day after is when I found out that my mother had gone into the hospital. So it was literally just back to back to back. My that week. Good. Yeah. Are you okay? I mean, I'm trying. It's That's it's, so heavy. It's very heavy. You know, like we... As a family, I'm so, I love my family so much. My family's so tight. Um, but what we do is we I would have um, FaceTime chats with them multiple times a day, three or four times a day, just checking in on them and seeing how they were doing and what have you. And um, my sister has severe asthma, so she couldn't go out and see them. But what she could do um, would be to bring them if they needed it and leave it on the step and then, you know, leave because she can't go in the house. Yeah, we've been working together as a collective to get through it and they're both doing really well. I appreciate the people who have reached out to me about that. I appreciate that a lot. Um, You guys don't quite understand how terrifying it is um, for both of your parents to have to go through this and not being able to be there. And I'm the oldest of two. And so I... I already have this feeling of responsibility over my parents and my family in general, you know? So I always want to make sure that they are safe and taken care of. Some of the questions that I have though, after they get retested, I think they're going for a retest uh, maybe at the end of the month because they can't go back to work until they test negative. 
So um, the questions that I have are, you know, how likely is it for them to get reinfected? That's concerning to me because they're going into um, into environments that are densely um, populated. My dad works in manufacturing. They're breeding grounds for this shit. Yes, yes, they are. It's just, it's very scary. And he's so close to retirement too. It's ridiculous. I think he only has a few years left. So yeah, it's just, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot for me to think about and process. I'm actually, I'm going to be doing an interview with a doctor that works in infectious diseases. So mm-hmm. all the questions you have, please send them over to me and I will absolutely ask him directly and get back to you the exact same day. Yeah, um, for sure. And since your dad's getting so close to retirement, I hope at some point he's at work and he just says, I'm getting too old for this shit. I really hope that happens. <laughs> I, I'm I gonna, hope my parents least... are going to listen to this. Daddy, I hope you do that. <laughs> at least once. Just say, just Danny Glover it. Just that one, that one time. So he, here, for everybody listening out there, I want you guys to understand, Octavia is a real person. She's not just some made-up human being. She <laughs> is a real person. And this happened to her family. Because just because it hasn't happened to you, or somebody that you know does not mean that this is a made-up disease. And it's driving me crazy that people, people who I felt were bright people, mm-hmm. think the dumbest things. You know? Oh, well, it's, it's, it's made up. Oh, it's the, this. It's that. Yes, there is the Illuminati, these several <laughs> people that are really making the coming together and having these secret behind the, the doors meetings about how they're going to control the world with this fake disease that just clearly infected your parents. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a real thing, guys. It is. If you don't believe it, do your own research. I can't stress that enough. Listen to everything. Do your own independent research and make up your own mind. Not emotionally. Look at the facts. That's, that's all you have to do. Just, just look at the facts because it's driving, it's driving me a little crazy. It's driving me a little crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and especially being out outside and seeing people like, oh yeah, everything is fine now. It's it's not. It, it's not fine. And people aren't, we're not even um worried about a second wave because we're still kind of in the first exactly. wave. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And here's what will make you uncomfortable. Uh, the Spanish flu back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. If you look at the numbers and, and the, the charts, it kind of matches what's going on today. So after the first wave, people were like, oh, it's fine. And they went back and the second wave was so much worse. We're smarter than that today. Let's be smarter than that, please. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a little crazy. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30 day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash the neuro nerds and browse their massive selection of audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audibletrial.com slash the neuro nerd. Now you're, you said eight years from your stroke? Yes. Eight years. Yeah. Oh, you're a wily veteran. I'm going on four. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you yeah. have any lasting deficits from it? Uh, yeah, I do. I still have aphasia. It's not as bad as it used to be. Um, from time to time, I still get vertigo. Um, I have trouble with reading comprehension. Sometimes I'll have to reread stuff multiple times. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. When I first 
um, moved back to Minneapolis after my initial rehab and radiation treatment. I had that at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics. Shout out to them. Um, after I moved back and started working again full time, it was tough. But um, another part of my stroke story is that it was my colleagues. I was working at a consulting firm at the time. It was my colleagues who noticed that something was wrong with me and took me to the hospital. My colleagues were older. Um, these are people who were in their late 40s, 50s, and 60s that I worked with. And they were like, something's wrong with you. Um, and they're the ones that that took me to Regis Hospital in St. Paul. And they stayed with me. That's uh, thank, thank God for them. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. It's a... Uh, it's really an incredible story, and this is why I think it's so important, so important for me to write about it in, in my book. It's not just about having the bleed, but it's really about resilience and bouncing back from that. When you have a, a, something like that happen when you're young, you're dealing with so many other things. I was 24. I was in a grad program. I had this idea about graduating with my master's and then getting a job at Target Corporate, which is in Minneapolis. Um, I was going to do that. And then, you know, find a husband, get married, have kids, like that whole idea. And then everything was just shattered, you know, in an instant. So it was me not only trying to heal from this trauma, but trying to really figure out who I was as a young woman, what, what I was going to do in my career and how I was going to get there because I missed out on so much um, during the the year after, because that's a really critical time for healing. Right. Um, it, it was tough. It was really, really tough for me in the beginning. It was hard, but... Hey, uh, you, you persevered. <laughs> and that's the one thing about brain injury survivors. We are some of the toughest, most resilient people in the world. Mm -hmm. I'll also tell you, our community is the greatest community in the world. Everybody can say that they're lying. Our community, <laughs> clearly, we're the most helpful, loving, caring community in the world. We always want to see the other side succeed. And it, I, I just, I love our community. Uh, are you in touch um, with a lot of uh, brain injury survivors? Like, have you met a lot over your years? Um, a handful, a few. I used to, I mean, online has been great with IG, just connecting with people that way. Um, but when I first started uh, doing rehab in Minneapolis, I joined a program called Share Givers, and it was for survivors of strokes to talk to people who had just had strokes because, you know, they wanted uh, people who have been through it to uh, be able to lend a hand and show support and comfort. And so I did that for a little while, and that was really cool. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I needed that because yeah. I had so many questions and I like so much crazy stuff was going on in my head. I just didn't have anybody to ex like, I can say stuff, but nobody really understands it unless mm -hmm. you've been through it. Mm -hmm. You know, once I started talking to other stroke survivors, I was like, Oh, my people, you guys are my kin. Like you get it. You know, like when I say, Oh yeah, I'm having a little bit of a, a you know, a fatigue. Oh, you understand it. You know, when I say, Oh, I'm having a little bit of brain fog. Oh, you understand it. Especially like even you, I, you suffer, um, suffered aphasia, you know? Mm -hmm. So if you have trouble sometimes recalling words, it's like, I, okay, I understand where that's coming from. It's not just, oh, I forget words too. Yeah. No, yeah. Because I've same. had people say that to me before and it's, it's not quite the same thing. It's, it's annoying, it's, isn't it? Yeah. It is annoying when people do that. Um, what's interesting about what you just said is, so my dad actually had a stroke in 2008. 
I was a junior in college and I ended up transferring schools to be closer to home because of that. And I remember him doing, you know, at home sort of uh, speech therapy with my mother and him maybe feeling a little bit embarrassed by that. Um, mm. And I understood after my injury, it was like, daddy, I understand. I get it. Yeah. You know, like it's, I get it's, it. it. You know, being being a man, and again, this isn't a sexist thing. It's just a worldly thing. You have like a certain thing. You don't want to seem, you know, like less of a man. And mm-hmm. when I was physically recovering and I had to use a cane, I don't want to feel like an old, feeble man using yeah. a cane. I mm-hmm. hated it so much. And even when it came to the cognitive stuff, I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember because I had left side issues. Mm-hmm. Like I had left side neglect where I didn't acknowledge that I had a left side. Mm-hmm. And I, would, I wouldn't be able to draw a clock. My brain wouldn't be able to draw an entire clock I would only be able to draw like half a clock and I, I didn't understand why I wasn't able to do it so I would just kind of like make things up out of embarrassment apparently I'm very vain who knew <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. When you, well, you you mentioned um okay like uh, the, the reading and and you know uh comprehending the words and and reading mm-hmm. over and over and over again do you read now I say that like do you read or do you <laughs> listen to books both so okay. for fiction books I find it easier to read. Um, for nonfiction books, I will do audiobooks. I think it's easier oh, for me to uh, comprehend um, the audio version of a nonfiction book. Fiction books are more descriptive, and it, for me, it's better for me to read that from a hardback or paperback book. I need mm-hmm. to. I can't really digest it through audiobooks. I need to read it. Right. That's, that's interesting. I, um, so several of my, when I, you know, I'm really happy that you're writing a book because like mm-hmm. the only books I read now are from like my stroke survivor homies. Yeah. So <laughs> my, um, I, I have a lot of, you know, my friends are, are writing books, ama- all amazing books. I had trouble comprehending and um, retaining the information. Mm-hmm. My friend Mimi's book, she wrote a book. Um, it, it's, it'll be okay. It's just a hole in my head. <laughs> and I read the first seven pages at least 10 to 15 times Yeah, because I'd be on page two and I'd be like, oh, wait, how did it start? Right. Have to start again. Yep. Wait, oh. who is this character? I have to go back. So as soon as I started listening to audible, audible has been amazing for me. Yep. I can listen to it and I'm able to main, re- retain the information without having to go back, which has been awesome. It's so funny how the brain, all of our brains are different. You know, it's, it's, you can drop our brains are like computers are like laptops. You can drop the exact same laptop several times, several different ones, the exact same way. And each one will be, have different deficits every time they turn yeah. on, you know, yeah. same thing with our brains. We can have the exact same brain injury, but like the, the things that happen to us are so different. Yeah. It's a magical world. <laughs> it's a little bit crazy though. It, it, it really is, you know, um, specifically being a woman of color. Mm-hmm. And, and I know this is weird being a woman. It's really hard. I know yeah. that I was brought up in a, in a house full of women. Like, really, I, I, I've said this like a million times. I, I was brought up by my mother and my three sisters. I never had a male influence in my life, like ever. Mm-hmm. I had to have a period just to fit in my household. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, so like, I, I, I know how difficult it is just being a, an ethnic woman in this world, a woman of color in this world. It's so hard for you guys let alone doing that with a brain injury. Yeah. How did you get through college? Was it after college or was it? (laughs) My God, college is a whole nother story. My injury happened after college. I think it was like two years out, 
when it happened. Um, my college experience was wild. So I did go to I did go to college in Iowa. So these are predominantly white um, universities. Oh, oh yeah, it's Iowa. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's that. So this because I went to two different schools. So I originally went to well, first I went to Wartburg College in Waverly, Iowa, and I wanted to sing. I had a teacher in high school who trained me from 10th grade up the time that I moved to the, the small town where my parents still live. She trained me um, for this scholarship specifically, um, and I got it. So I ended up going to Wartburg. It was a partial scholarship. Um, I ended up going to Wartburg for a little bit, and they had a really good um, broadcast communications program. Um, there was this point in time where my parents were really interested in me becoming a news anchor. And so I was like, all right, whatever, I'll give it a shot. I took one broadcast class and was like, this is not for me because I I don't like reading off teleprompters. I didn't want to be on TV, Um, which is kind of funny since I'm always talking to the camera on IG. It's weird (laughs) because I don't actually like to be filmed. Um, But so I did that first. In your your parents' defense, you would have been an amazing broadcaster. Just saying. Um, so I did that for a little bit and I was just trying to figure out what I wanted to do with myself. And I ended up, um, landing on corporate communication slash PR. So here's the thing though, Joe, um, during the time that I was learning what I was learning about traditional media at the same time, we were going through a digital shift. So by the time that I graduated, I graduated during the height of the recession. Um, at the time that I had graduated, everything that I had learned about traditional media was pretty much useless because who the hell was reading newspapers anymore, right? (laughs) Oh my god! It's just like, all right, I just wasted four years and X amount of money on learning all of this stuff that's really not going to be super useful to me. This is why I decided to go to grad school because I'm like, well, shit, I need to learn all of this digital media stuff now. I know nothing about what's happening on the internet. Well, you were smart enough to do that. That's amazing. You know, there were people who just been like, well, I don't really know what to do. You actually took the steps to, you know, uh, um, do something, learn something relevant. Well, Joe, this was the recession. I couldn't find a job. I didn't have a choice. Oh. <laughs> like, it, was like, <laughs> it was like, you need to find something to do because I was working at a call center at the time. And I'm like, this ain't it. This is not right. what I want to do with my life. If I want to be successful in this um, industry, there are some principles that I need to learn. And that's why I initially started grad school. But then after my injury, I had to drop out because I just could not compete at that level. And then I just told myself, you know what? Um, YouTube exists. LinkedIn learning exists. I will teach myself. And that's part of the reason where, you know, how the blog came into play. Amazing. Yeah. I love that like I I do it's adapt adjust or die you know what I mean and you've Mm -hmm. adapted and you've adjusted and and you're here in your recovery in the world (laughs) because I I'll I'll say this you have several strikes against you in this world as of today you know you're 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 a black woman Mm -hmm. living in a very predominantly Caucasian area Mm -hmm. at least you went to school in a very Caucasian area yeah so you went to school in Iowa Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem like the most welcoming place for a black woman. So, okay. 
<laughs> so I, I grew up in the city um, for the first 14 years of my life. And is it the most diverse place? No, but any sort of city in any uh, state is going to be the most probably diverse place um, in that state. So while we do have Black people in Iowa, that we are out here, we exist, um, it's, there's not a lot of us. And it's sort of a tight-knit community. Like, everybody knows everybody knows everybody. And with my mom, she was a well-known high school ball player in the 80s. So everyone's really familiar with my family um, through that. And then my grandfather, my grandfather owned a grocery store in the, in the 70s, I believe, in the 60s or 70s, somewhere in there. Um, so people are familiar with my family in that way. But no, um, it's very, very, very white. I went to pretty much all white schools. Uh, my, when my family moved to the country, that was uh, a bit of a, a shocker for me. I feel like it was a shocker for me because it was so white um, and there were so little people down there. Um, that was a unique experience in and of itself. <laughs> and I told myself, you know, if I ever had children, I would never move them to a rural location, not because I don't like being in a rural area, but because they're going to be limited in exposure. Like there's just not enough people that look like them around. And I don't want my children to go through some of the things that I went through back then. That's horrible. Yeah. And now I'm assuming you experienced some things that kids probably shouldn't experience. Well, yeah. Um, and the way that it's handled in the Midwest, is very passive aggressively because Midwesterners tend to be very passive aggressive. Um, so it oh, was ne- nothing. Heart. Yeah. It was nothing like overt that happened, but you can feel, you can feel it when you're being slighted. Um, and you, you can feel those uncomfortable moments. And for, like one story in particular, this, I found this kind of odd. This wasn't neither bad nor good. It was just weird. But um, at Walmart one time, this little boy um, in an aisle, I think it was like the card aisle, turned to his mom and said, Mommy, why is she brown? And his mom looked horrified. (laughs) And I'm there and I'm like 14, 15. And I'm just like, "Uh, okay. (laughs) You know, I don't Uh, know what to do. (laughs) It's just an awkward moment for everyone. I know what to do. I know what to do. Stay out of Walmart. That's just my suggestion <laughs> right there. <laughs> we avoid a lot of issues if we just stay out of Walmart. <laughs> that is, that is, is, it's a weird world we live in, Octavia. It really yeah. is. You know, now, let me ask you a question for the people today. How do you have any advice for people who don't necessarily know how to advocate for the community? Um, I feel like the best the best thing that you can do is educate yourself. Um, follow there there are certain thought leaders uh, in the struggle that are important people to follow that know what they're talking about. Follow them. Rachel Cargill, I think that's her name. She's a good person to follow um, to get hip to what's happening. Amanda Seals is a good person to follow. She's kind of controversial, but I like her. Um, she's a comedian actress who also has credentials in African-American studies in history. Um, But just do your research. Uh, Figure out what's going on, where to donate, legitimate places to donate, um, and how to be a part of the conversation in a meaningful way. 
you know, and then in your own life, after you, you know, you take in some of this information, implement it. I was talking to a young man last night who was telling me about his experience as a white guy and becoming more awakened to this. He has kids. And I'm like, well, your job, you know, as a parent now is to, to pass this on to your kids and make sure that we don't have this repeated cycle of um, embedded racism in our culture. Teach your kids what you're learning. This is important. Age appropriate, of course, as children are small, but, you know, teach them. Don't, don't dismiss our history. A lot of people, a lot of white people completely dismiss the origins of this country. It's like, do, do, how, how are you skipping over this stuff? This is how we got here. Yeah, because it's comfortable for them. It's not. It doesn't make them feel good that they're they were put in a position and their people in their bloodline owned people in your bloodline. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't make them comfortable, and it's not an easy thing to talk about, but it's a necessary thing to talk about. And you know, I'll say it until my face is blue. We have to be uncomfortable right now. We have to. That's the only way we're going to grow. It, it is. We we have to have uncomfortable conversations. We have to hear uncomfortable things. Because we're going to grow. It's just like working out. You work out, you lift the weights. Oh, I'm sore. Yeah, your <laughs> muscles are growing. Yeah. We're growing as a people. We're growing as a society. The earth, the the world is evolving, you know? And, mm-hmm. and you and I, we're on the right side of history. We are, you know? And there's a lot of people who are not. And they're going to get left behind, unfortunately. You know, I I, I use it, the, the analogy of, of us brain injury survivors. We're beautiful butterflies. We've evolved, <laughs> right? Now, there are a lot of people who... Like my like who haven't evolved with us, right? And there's people who are just stuck in the old way. They're caterpillars crawling around in the dirt, okay? Mm-hmm. And they're just gonna be stuck there. We're flying high. We're living our beautiful life because the world is changing. You guys out there evolve with us. It's so much fun. We're cool people. Yeah, I think it's, so. It's so much. <laughs> it's so much fun over here. It's so much fun. I made that noise. My voice went up that high. Octavia, this has been awesome. This is actually yeah. really cool. So this is the first time I'm actually speaking to Octavia like live. We've messaged yeah. back and forth a little bit, yeah. but it's 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 so nice to talk to you. And I can't thank you enough for coming on and sharing your perspective because it is a unique perspective. It is, it is something that I think people need to hear. Like this is a, a more somber neuro nerds episode because I'm doing like, you know, the um, a different series. But I will ask you this. What's your nerdum? Do you have a nerdum? What do you mean? Like, okay, so I'm a superhero guy. I'm, I'm a video game guy. I'm a Star Wars nerd. That's kind of like my nerd. Do you oh, have a nerd? Okay. Um, writing and prints. I'm obsessed with prints. It's ridiculous. <laughs> oh, I can actually say you'll appreciate this. I got to see Prince perform live at the forum down here in California. Did you? Lucky. Oh, my. When I tell you it was one of the most epic shows I've ever seen, it was so good. He came out and I think he did five encores. Mm-hmm. Now, when I say five encores, it wasn't like, oh, bye guys. And he comes out. Yeah. The last encore he did was a solid 45 minutes after the last time he like oh, wow. people left and there was just a handful of people in this giant stadium and he comes out and he's like, and he sings some more song. It was so good. It was so good. That guy was an alien. He was so yes, good. Yes. Yes. I'm a big music person and Prince is just the embodiment. He's a, a wonderful musician. I love Prince, and I get that from my mom because she loves Prince. So, you know, I, I appreciate this. These are really, really heavy times, mm-hmm. and I, I thank you so much for sharing, you know, with the NeuroNerds audience your story and, you know, your pr- perspective on this because it's a little crazy. 
it's a little crazy, you know, and going through this, not only as, as a black woman, but a black woman with a brain injury. Like this is, this is tremendous. You are a warrior queen for (laughs) sure. Thank you. Thank you for being amazing. (laughs) Thank you for being here. And um, where can they follow you and your blog? Oh, absolutely. At CB Kelly, Kelly with an I. And then my blog is nomadiccaffeine.com. I love, I'm so glad you said that because I just love the way that sounds. <laughs> oh, I'm in. As for us, the neuro nerds, well, it's two of us, but it's only one of me because my co-hosts, we're socially distancing, so we can't do live episodes together. Um, you can follow Lauren at Lauren L. Manzano on Instagram. You can follow me at Joso Rocks everywhere. You can follow us, the neuro nerds, at everywhere. Octavia, thank you so much. This is the world's evolving, the world's changing, and and I'm here for it. And thank you so much for being a guest. And I really look forward to connecting with you further. Thank you. On that awesome note, this neuro nerd is out. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.